Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And by now, I'm sure you're counting down the days to, to. Uh, yeah, happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends. And also, um, let's get ready for Merry the rest Christmas. Of, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's all coming up. This is the busiest time of the year, right? And and we're busy just like everyone else yes. is. And what are we doing today? We're, we're starting off with some stories, right? We're doing stories. People, people love to tell stories and write books about their stories. You know, and the first one is uh, Suki and John Jamison of J- Jamison Farm, which is um, probably the, among the best lamb producers in the country. Um, and John and has some. John has some of the best yarns in the country. Yeah, he's a great storyteller. Funnily enough, I guess, I guess they bagged the title of most of his presentations, which are "Lamb's Tales." Don't, don't know why they did that. Maybe somebody already had a book out under that name. It could be. <laughs> and, and then we have Mrs. Hood or Miss Hood, and and spelled Anne the Hood. right way, Miss Hood. Yes, Anne yeah. Hood, and uh, her stories um, related to food. Are called kitchen yarns, but she's also a knitter. We'll learn that. Okay, we, 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 may, we, may sneak fi- a, we may sneak a break in there somewhere too. Yeah, and 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 then to wrap it all up, um, stories of of what we call heroes, um, talking to um, talking about the four one two food food let's rescue. Just, let's, let's just wait to catch latecomers yeah. with that story because that's okay. a very interesting story. Okay. And he, here we well, are with John, John, John and Suki Jamison of right. Latrobe, Oligany. I always get it mixed up. It's in the countryside outside Pittsburgh. Well, I I have to say that John and Suki Jamison are old and dear friends of ours. Um, but aside from that... Well, watch, out, watch out for the old part. Look. Yeah, okay, well, me. <laughs> but aside from that, I mean, their lamb is seriously, like, it's been called, been named the best lamb in America, and I can assure you that this is the top of the line in organic lamb. Um, but, the how, book, but how did how did you get there? From where you started, where you where yeah, you, well, that's what the book is about. Where you started had nothing to do with lambs. Well, let's, let's start with their explaining the title of this book because that kind of sums it up, anyhow. Coyotes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the pasture and wolves at the door. Well, that's right. So the 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 first part, coyotes in the pasture, pretty easy to figure out. We. We we all have an issue with well all all farmers have an issue with coyotes or, or or all sheep farmers have in Western Pennsylvania for the last twenty or thirty years. So that was that's that's the that really is a metaphor for for the farming issues that that we have. And John, John um, speak up just a little bit, John. Okay, so that that has to do with. Uh, with the farming issues that we have, every, everything that we have to deal with um, uh, naturally, and that's a metaphor for that. And we can usually handle that part. The part that was harder to handle are the wolves that were always at our door. <laughs> that one I caught on. That's and and that's what that's what that's about. And so the the final chapter of the book is really about. I call it small farm lending, but it's it was the longest one and the hardest one to write because it was so gut wrenching. Oh, yes. <laughs> I had to remember about all the terrible times that we had, but it it ended on a good note, I guess. But it uh, it was it was hard to write. Well, you, you know, um, you've told me I've I've heard a lot of these stories, but. Um, you, you slid over in private conversations the the really rough spots that you and Suki went through, and, and this the wolves at the door part of it. Yes. <laughs> so, so yes, and it, and it, oh yeah, and it was it was uh, it was tough, but uh, but we made it through the other end. But it was uh, it was difficult. Now the. This is, it starts out almost as if you were, um, doing chronologically, uh, how you 
entered and, and progressed in your business, but it's not all strictly um, chronicle, um, chronological, is it? No, it jumps all. We were talking about that, and some people, some of the reactions that we've got from it is that people like the fact that it does bounce all over the place. But that's <laughs> that has to do with the fact that I'm a. Even though I was an English major, I'm a farmer, I guess. <laughs> but it just it does kind of bounce all over the place, and and I just compiled a bunch of different stories that I thought were interesting, and. Uh, from uh, from uh, by from starting the farm, meeting Suki, how I got interested in in how how we got interested in farming, and then meeting the chefs and some of the funny stories we had dealing with the chefs. But yeah, it it does bounce it does bounce all over the place. But uh, mo- many many people thought that makes it interesting but it's certainly the way my mind works which <laughs> as my wife knows is not at all organized yeah, well i mean i'm not a lateral um, thinker i mean i am a lateral thinker i am, I am not a, uh, a linear thinker right so, yeah so um now we don't want to give away too many of these stories but i'll tell you i had this wonderful time because a lot of the characters that you talk about um, in addition to you people, of course, uh, I know. And it was, right. Yes, and you recognize, you, you recognize you, most of them, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, and that made it particularly interesting. Um, to, to give a brief overview, John does this incredible narrative, very natural, just the way John talks and thinks. And then Suki supplies all these wonderful recipes. And they are, I mean, they're, they're my kind of recipes. I love them. And, of course, I love lamb. And, I mean, the core of all this is the quality of the lamb that you, you, you were a, um, uh, you were a pioneer in this grass-fed movement. Right. Um, yeah. I, I could, I couldn't figure out, like, whatever really got into you to have you do this. I mean, not the book, not the book but the farm. It was just one thing after another. One thing led to another. It wasn't a planned. We didn't have a a, 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 a map, a road map of any sort, for sure. Uh-huh. But now they, we ought to point out that these photographs, some of them are, are should we call them vintage? <laughs> <Supply>. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then others, uh, the beautiful uh, uh, photos from uh, Christopher Hershey on there. Yeah, she was. Yeah, who the, she and she and Melissa were. And Melissa photographed big, too. Big help uh, putting that together. Right. That's okay. right. And all the recipe pictures are Christopher's. So they make my recipes shine for sure. Right. Now, now let's let's just mention that the Christopher we're talking about is is with an operation Canal called Canal House, which is. Some, right. Some are way out in the on the other end of Pennsylvania than Ligonier, where you are. are oh, you, are yes, lo- over near uh, over uh, New. Actually, I think they just moved to New Jersey. Oh wow! There uh, you go. Did well, they open the other, other side of the border? Did they open a restaurant or not? They were going to be opening a restaurant. Did they do that? Well, they have Canal House, which is a studio, and then they're having they have. Apparently, they're going to start a restaurant, but that's not off the ground yet. Oh, okay, because they were talking about it last time we interviewed them. I hope, right. they're, going to, I hope right. they're going to put a lot of lamb on the menu. Um, I hope so. Let's Absolutely. Do, let's do a little, um, what do we call it? Um, just throw out some some of the people that are involved, involved with this. Um, little tempt people, little temptations to want to read further on their stories without giving away too much. Oh no, I don't think so. You mean the characters, some of the chefs and characters no. that are in it? Right now, I'm looking at Suki. Did you have red hair? She asked if you had red hair. Oh me, it's kind of reddish. <laughs> is it really? Because yeah, this wedding picture is just too sweet for words. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's pictures of us. There's, there's uh, one in the chapters is what is it? Something in young love? I don't know. Yeah, right. Childhood in young love, and and uh, so it it, it kind of starts that way with just really Suki's interest in cooking, and uh, one of one one of the one of the gifts that 
that um, I think I got uh, was uh, her mother sent her to uh, to uh, cooking school uh, run by Chef Gregory of, of, of uh, La Maisonette in Cincinnati, which yeah. is no longer in existence, but was a great right. restaurant. I keep forgetting that so, that's out of business, actually. Yeah, yeah, but but we were but so she was kind of always always interested in cooking and had that bent. And uh, but some of the people in the book uh, are. Uh, uh, somewhat important as far as chefs, and um, certainly Julia Child. I have a, I have two or three Julia Child stories, yeah, she's and two or three Jean Louis Paladin stories. And actually, one of the, the, and I just got this yesterday, but the, the one of the biggest certainly um, heart moving um, compliments that I've got is that his daughter, Vervan, wrote me yesterday and Aww. said that uh, I, I uh, captured her father perfectly. Oh, that's wonderful. So it was just wonderful. I started getting a little Aww. a little teary, but it was uh, because he was so important. He's so important in the story, but so important to our business. Well, he was also a genius. I mean, it's, well, the saddest thing is he's dying so young. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was a shame. He was only fifty-five. So yes, but uh, yeah. So that was nice. So those are some of the characters, and then we have other. At the end, I I I have three or four stories that were just people that uh, just funny ones with with famous people that well what. What I always like is the one about Chuck Williams, and right. I sat next <laughs> to a funny. guy named Chuck something. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Is yeah. that a great story? Oh, it is. It really is. I like the uh, picture of Danielle Boulou as a young man. I mean, oh wow, <laughs> That's great. Isn't well, it? You know, in 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 that picture, and I sent him a book, and he wrote me a very nice thank you note, handwritten, and I thought, oh God, he's going to hate that picture. Uh-huh. But but the story with the picture was not only was he young and you're right it was I guess thir- twenty or thirty years ago and it was the what happened was um, uh, that was the the James Beard dinner that he had to cook because he had won the best restaurant in New York the, the year before uh-huh. and so on the. That dinner is always on a Monday, as you know. And so I get a call on Saturday from Alex Lee, <laughs> his executive chef, who says, where's the lamb? Oh, and I said, what lamb? And he said, I ordered 60 racks. Oh, and I said, you didn't order 60 racks. It's so anyway, oh, I, 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 I took them on Monday morning and I left uh, Latrobe at about 6 in the morning, and my car broke down, and I was supposed to be at their place. I was hoping to be at the Lincoln Tunnel at noon and then drive up to, they were at that time, it was the, it was the address where, the, where Cafe Balut is now. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go up there and, and French the racks and then take them downtown to the James Beard house. Well, I didn't get up there until four o'clock, <laughs> and the dinner was starting at six. The cocktails, mm-hmm. and so Danielle looks terrible in that picture because he he was Frenching racks, I was Frenching racks, the wait staff was Frenching racks, the the janitors I think were Frenching racks, dishwashers, everybody was Frenching racks, and and he was I mean he was stressed. But it's a great picture. Oh, I love it, yeah. Now, now, t- tell, I don't know whether this story is in the book, but t- tell us about uh, Mario Batali calling and wanting... Oh, yeah, no, that's really in the book. What, what, oh, what, what, did he, what did he want? He wanted, he wanted lamb something or other. Tongues. Lamb he he tongue. wanted lamb tongue. Go, go and ahead. It was, yeah, th- that, was another, that was at the... We did the um, uh, uh, City Meals on Wheels, and I was talking to him, and... Uh, and I was trying to sell lamb tongue, and uh, so I said, "Well, uh, I I see that you do uh, a lamb tongue salad yes. is one of your apps." 
And uh, I said, well, I can send you lamb tongue. I said, well, we have 100 a week. And he said, I go through 1,000 a week. <laughs> so that way I couldn't do that. Yeah, he, I probably not that. I've noticed people doing this, and particularly even chefs, that they don't realize there's only one tongue per lamb. No, <laughs> they don't, like, that's what Suki always says. Do you know how many how many <laughs> shanks are on a lamb? Yes. Well, here's something I also didn't know about. Boy, you really learned a lot from starting from zilch, right? Yes. Not yes, a lot. We were very, very green. <laughs> <laughs> Gutsy, but green. Um, I, I love the chapter which you, I've never talked to you about is uh, Kate the Wonder Dog. <laughs> That's a, and 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 I put that in that promotional thing because everybody liked that and I didn't know that it would have the appeal that it did. But yeah, it's a great story. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I never met Kate, right? No, no, you never met Kate. So there's a successor to Kate. Right. Yes, there there are different successors, but yeah, Kate was uh, Kate was something, and I probably shouldn't give the punchline of the story. No, 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 no. Uh, no. So. Listen, we've we've been letting John do all the work here, and and, <laughs> and, there, and there's a significant part of this res, this book that is some excellent recipes. Recipes, yes, recipes. Suki. <laughs> Suki, if you're yes, lazy, sir, if, thank you. Yes. If, if you're lazy, Suki will. Provide it for you already to put on the table. <laughs> well, that's true too. I can do your cooking for you, as I always say. Yes. Go ahead, go ahead. Tell us. Tell us some of the things that you do. Well, most of my recipes are home. They're really home recipes that we've done over and over and over again, so we know they work. So we didn't go to a tester. We're our own testers, uh-huh. and uh, there's simple, easy to easy to read ingredients. Nothing fancy. Just. If you have good ingredients and put them all together, it's, it's right there. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Now you you were doing a dinner in Pittsburgh. Was it a week or a couple of weeks ago? And one of the dishes was your famous barley soup. Oh, that's right. Yes. Go ahead. Tell yes. us about barley. Is there any lamb in barley soup? Absolutely. There's ground lamb in oh, the there barley is. soup, okay. and it's Thank made goodness. with lamb stock that we make. So that's why it's so good. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I love that some of these dishes are things that you associate with beef, but you've made it work with lamb. Oh, John has it, yeah. He said, he said of shepherd's pie, what, yeah. what shepherd's pie is made with beef only in America, I think. I think so. <laughs> well, that's right. Every as I, as I point in that, and Peter tell me if I'm wrong, but in 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 Great Britain, if it's made with beef, it's always called cottage pie. Uh, I, I, I guess cottage pie and uh, and uh, and the other thing are, are they're fairly shepherds. they're fairly close they're fairly close to each other. Well, Jeannie's uh, shepherd's pie that Adam loves yeah, so much yes, was, yeah, was beef. Our, and, uh, but uh, our sister in law, yeah, our, our sister in law has a mystery ingredient that makes the shepherd's pie really good. That's baked beans out of a can. <laughs> well, that would be, you know. It's, <laughs> I, I don't. Th- I don't think it improved it, to tell you the truth. But our son thought it was great. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your brush with Hollywood. I mean, that was an interesting chapter too. About, yeah. You know, I loved when you describe seeing her go into character. Well, it, it was. Well, thank you. That's so. When I was at W and J, the two main things I did was drink beer and act, or vice versa, <laughs> even though I was an English major. But anyway, I was very, very interested in, in theater. And um, it was in the 60s, and so we did Harold Pinner and Ionesco and all this very big, heavy yeah, 60s right. stuff. And so when when we did uh, the, the camera shoot with Jody, uh, we, we were asked to do that, and it's in the book. So I don't know how detailed I should get, but anyway, um, uh, uh, Jody is 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 a small person physically, <laughs> and so uh, they wanted a small lamb for her to hold, and so um, 
so we're working for an hour or so while she's in makeup and we took the lambs over and um, put pampers on them because they would they were animals <laughs> and uh, but there would be um, uh, girls wearing dresses that were very similar to Jody's in color uh, uh, so that the cameraman could get the shot correct uh, and so we did all that and then uh, she went on for the shoot and she had the lamb in her lap and I talked to her and we got all set up with how she should hold the lamb and blah 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 and then I stepped back and she was talking to the lamb and then the, the cameraman said okay I want to see Clarice and she was not Jodie Foster anymore. She was Clarice. <laughs> and I hadn't seen the movie. It was obviously, it was a year before the movie was out, and I hadn't read the book. But she was not Jodie Foster as soon as he said, I want to see Clarice. Her whole carriage changed. Her face changed. And it was just, I mean, when you see someone do that, I mean, something as simple as that, it was amazing to me as an amateur actor to see a professional like that do that. It was it was it made my day certainly. Just quickly, listeners, just in case you just in case you're not picking up the movie, it was called Silence, Silence of the Lambs. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just, because it was so exciting to me. It really was. It was great. Uh, now your your son picked up this acting gene initially, although he moved on to. A, a more lucrative profession, right? Career. Yes, that's right. He was a starving actor in New York, and then he realized that he would. A starving actor is <laughs> redundancy, I think. And <laughs> so, anyway, he uh, now he's a dot com zillionaire and doesn't tell anybody where he came from. But um, <laughs> the only thing he got from it is that he um, he he can get good seats at restaurants. So. Oh, boy. That's all he cares about. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think one of the most charming stories that you've told over the years is how you moved into this grass-fed business. And it, it goes back to Suki's getting tired of growing the stuff and bringing it in and <laughs> bailing it. Oh, and, the hay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Making hay and why not build fence instead? <laughs> yes. I mean, I thought that was just brilliant. Thank you. It's a good chapter. It's a, and it's also a great story about Suki. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, I I don't know that we should say much more no, about it, except that... Have we sold enough books yet? I don't know, but uh, you know what I think we ought to take chance to do is give your your website address make sure they know it's singular yes suki jamison j-a-m-i-s-o-n f-a-r-m dot com yes www.jamisonfarm.com right and and it's not plural farms because the, no, that's no, not plural. yeah singular the book is available from us and it's available on amazon yeah, it was great that we found it on Amazon. And it's, it's available on the OTM bookshelf as well. Yeah, we have it on the bookshelf. Um, great. And, and also at, from Word Association, which is, Word Association is our publisher in uh, Trenum, PA. Right. And you, you had a good experience with that, I think. So you're probably yes. going to write many more books, I'm assuming. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have stories lined up. I have some already started. Oh, have you really? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's oh, good. good. Where, I mean, you know, I, yeah, it was, it, it becomes easier to write, well, you know better than I do, but uh, it, it, after having gone through this and worked with an editor and um, <laughs> my daughter, my, my daughter who's an English teacher, and a great writer. Is that Rachel? Uh, Rachel, I'm sorry. Yeah, she she said after she read the book, she said, "You have a good editor." <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said there was a lot of red ink. Trust me. Uh-huh. And your other daughter, of course, is a chef, Eliza. Yes, Eliza's a. Chef. Yeah. Some Eliza stories in there too. Yes. And so, um, and well, it, it's like old home week. I'm really thrilled for you. Um. Thank you. Just to straighten things out, I mean, you'll, you'll want to get the book, but I think you also want to try the lamb. 
and on their website you could see how you could do that. I mean, it's mail order, Liam, or you could stop by the farm and pick it up. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. And, and then, yeah, we'll be in Pittsburgh um, a week from Sunday. Right. On the ninth, we'll be at the Union Standard. Right. And um, a, go ahead. A book signing. Okay. A book brunch at uh, Union Standard on the Sunday. Great. And then we'll be other places, I think. That's terrific. And um, you also have the prepared foods that you can order online? Yeah, oh, the, absolutely. Yeah, the barley soup that you mentioned is a prepared right. um, product, the, the barley soup. And so that's, uh, that's one of the ones we make. But we do uh, three different sausages, one of which is merguez. Yes, and then, uh, which is an uh, iconic Marquez sausage. Thank you, Suki. <laughs> yeah. And and um, what else do we do? You have your own processing plant? We have our own USDA processing plant that we've had since 1994. So that's been a continually learning experience, but we could never have done what we've done today if we hadn't done that. Right. Well, I mean, once... the the reader, the listeners read this book and, and see where you started and how, when I read the chapter about you and the uh, slaughter, <laughs> I couldn't yeah. even picture that. They're coming. When I write, write to my mom and wrote to my mom and dad and said, so you want to be a butcher? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you too. I'm so glad that you got this book through and I think that, again, it's a, uh, uh, coyotes, except you call it something different, John, right? Coyotes. coyotes. I call, we call it coyotes, in but that's pasture. okay. Coyotes in the Pasture and Wolves at the Door by John and Suki Jamison of the famous Jamison Lamb Farm. Thank you both, and see you Thank soon. You. Thank you very much. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, I started, I had 10 million things to do this morning, and Hood, but I, I decided, since I, you were available for an interview, that I would read your book, and I did. I read it cover to cover. Oh, goodness. Which I don't do for every book. <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't do six a week, which is what we usually have. Anyhow, your, your book is called Kitchen Yarns, which really kind of sums it up nicely. Um, Sounds like a sewing book to me. <laughs> well, she knits. She knits. That's right. They wanted my knitters to, to notice my book. <laughs> yes. See, that's the one thing we don't have in common here, this uh, knitting. I I tried. I just absolutely can't stand it. <laughs> oh, really? You know, I have to tell you, I'm, of course, getting ready to knit Christmas presents. I waited long enough. Yes. And as soon as the interview's over, I've got to get all my needles out and get to work. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what I was supposed to be doing is, because I'm also a metalsmith, I was going to be making my sister and my, my nephew's wife's earrings for Christmas. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> wow, so, that's terrific. Yeah. So anyhow, your subtitle is Notes on Life, Love, and Food. And um, it's a story... Um, a, an episode in your life is really about an emotion and then is followed with a recipe. Yes, um, that's right. So, I mean, I don't want to give away everything or people won't buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have some interesting questions. Um, did you think of the incident, the emotion first, and then the recipe, or was it the other way around? That's such a good question. You know, I, in a way, it's neither because I had not realized that over many years I wrote a lot of personal essays using food as sort of the entry point to a larger theme. 
And it wasn't until I won a couple Best American Food Writing Awards that my brilliant editor pointed oh. out to me <laughs> how often I wrote about food. And right. I swear you could have knocked me over. And I said, you know, I think you're right. And she said, you collect all those essays and I'll publish them. So uh-huh. I quickly went home to my computer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and I looked. And, and so in their original form, some of them did run with recipes. But some of them had not, you know. Um, and so then I had some fun. Like there's one about uh, that compares a dinner party I went to uh, as a way to remember my TWA flight attendant days and the food oh, yeah. I used to I cook. Read that, yeah. So I had none of those recipes, so it was fun to kind of find a recipe for Cherry's Jubilee and read about it. And um, but other ones, the re- the recipe was so important to the essay. I'm thinking of the one called Tomato Pie oh, that yes. references a Lori Colwin, right. a love of Lori Colwin's writing and a recipe of hers from Gourmet Magazine. So it was kind of a mix. But the essays themselves were born just of my desire to try to tackle some emotional piece. Well, you uh, had, a, you had a lot of sadness in your life and loss. Unfortunately, that is true. I think um, maybe we all have our share, but I certainly started my share early. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kept going, right? Yes. Um, and, of course, food is such a way to comfort the grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the essays kind of were born during these periods in my life when I um, I really looked for food or people fed me uh, to help me through something tough. Right. Well, we we share so many experiences. Um, and I grew up in, in like a, a Sicilian family, so it's... Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, it might have been even wilder than yours. <laughs> uh, that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Peter is, is English, and his, mm-hmm. nobody raises voice in his family. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, because my dad was English. Well, he was Midwestern, but, you know, they were just, you know, that English combination that many people are in the Midwest, and uh, yeah, he somehow I, landed in the middle of this Neapolitan family. This is the other thing, is... Um, the, I mean, here I am. You should see the, the family photographs. There were all these blue-eyed blondes, and then there's me. <laughs> and, and then Adam, our son Adam, who's dark as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so, but, um, and I also, I I know that I, I worked in uh, the museum in Indianapolis for oh, three to four you. years. Yeah. So you know that Indiana fried chicken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best. It's the best. Uh, in, in a review in the Washington Post, it started, she had me at Indiana Fried Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Oh, dear. That was the, that reminds me of my opening line of the interview I did with Gail Green when she did her memoir. Yes. I, I, somebody in, in, reviewed her book and said, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, you know, I was a, a restaurant critic for years and I never... <laughs> Fred, any of those adventures. <laughs> right, Robert? Am I hey, talking well, too much? <laughs> never, never, never. You, you I, didn't sleep with Elvis Presley either, huh? Or Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's her opening, um, her opening um, story. Right, that's right. I remember yeah. that book. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I have to say that um, my darling husband thinks he makes the best fried chicken. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's, you know, a genius recipe on Food 52, and he always talks about his, he grinds <laughs> it, he does everything to that chicken but marry it, you know, and I uh, I say, you, you're you working too hard, this is how they do it in Indiana, so I have to sometimes take him for some good fried chicken, so then he'll know. Oh, that's funny. You have to take him to Nashville for some of that hot chicken. Yeah, oh, isn't that good? We have a restaurant here in Providence. That serves that. Are so you living in Providence, not in, in Manhattan, right? You, you know, we split our time actually. So um, okay. we're about it's about fifty fifty. I live on the west side of Providence and the West Village in New York. Okay, well there there you go. Um, so that's Providence, Rhode Island. Yes, yeah, Providence, Rhode Island. And Annabelle is still young. Yeah, Annabelle is 14 now, and she is a freshman in high school Okay, and uh, is loving it and just made the honor roll. I'll say hashtag proud mom. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so she's um, when she's with her dad, that's when I'm in New York. I see. Okay. Um, I should point out that uh, 
uh, this is actually something that's been happening a lot with memoirs. We're getting, they're not in chronological order, so it takes a right. little adjusting to, to do. But um, actually, it's, it's easier adjusting to to your non-chronological order than um, these other people, because we knew them really well, so it made it a little mm-hmm. bit difficult. Um, you start with something that, I mean, it's, it really dates you. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I, I, I remember the Silver Palette cookbook very well. <laughs> I'm, wondering, I'm wondering what Anne's going to say next. <laughs> so, you know, I, I find that so many things that I say now are, um, you know, the former airline TWA, the former... The, oh, sure. The, it's all yeah. gone, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I date myself all the time, but uh, I still use that Silver Palette cookbook. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because we had... Uh, when did Sheila die? I mean, we had... We uh, had a, that was a few years ago. Yeah, well, we had um, an interview scheduled with her. Oh really? Yeah. You see the one whose husband called. No, no, no. That was the the. Um, oh, what okay. is that one called? No, the the one. The, you know the culinary dictionary or whatever it is called. I forget mm. what it is. A woman wrote it for years and years, and, um, and we had a schedule. We had her scheduled for an interview, and her husband called and said he's sorry to report that she won't make the interview because she died. I mean, oh <laughs> like, my goodness! And I thought that was the most peculiar thing. Why would he ever? <laughs> Wow. It's a really thoughtless way to get out of doing an interview. (laughs) (laughs) But but Sheila, um, it was, I think her publicist first wrote and said that that she had to change the date because she was in the hospital. And then then the next thing, she called and canceled and said Sheila had died. I was totally stunned. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I know. Well, I'll tell you, they really changed the way people ate and cooked oh, yes. for that time, you know. Oh, um, yes. But someone has someone who read the book emailed me to say that the Barefoot Contessa and, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't pronounce his name, but the, the chef who wrote the cookbook Jerusalem. Um, oh, yeah, what's his name? I can't, Adamo, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, but they I, I, both I, I, have Solomon. versions of Chicken Marbella yeah. in their new cookbooks. Really? You're talking Isn't that about interesting? Otto, what's his name? The guy in, in London? You're yes. Talking? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what they both have updated Otto, that chicken Otto, Otto Lange or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's he, right. Somebody Otto Lange. He has journalists. I would never interview him. He's just, you know, he, you know, we get the books and then he won't do the interview. It's really strange. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I've eaten twice at his restaurant in London called Nopi. Yeah. And with great delight, so <laughs> we have to forgive him. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I think he's extraordinary. Absolutely. So I, I looked up the essay, I mean, the uh, recipe that he he updated for the chicken marbella, and it, the only difference I could see was that he substituted dates for the prune. Well, that's Middle Eastern, isn't it? Yes, right. Yeah. right. Um, well, you know, the, the, this, this everybody at, this, at the time uh, started having these dinner parties, so you ate the same thing every time. I know! (laughs) I know! Everybody had the same cookbook. Yeah, everybody had the same cookbook. It was the Bible, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was, and and caterers started cooking from it. It was really bizarre. (laughs) So, anyhow, um, so that that struck a a note, and, and... um, what else did here? Well, of course, your fried chicken. You have great memories of your parents. Your mother must yes. have been a character, too. Oh, was she ever. Uh, she just passed away in February, sadly. But until the end, she was, you know, um, still smoking cigarettes. She started when she was 15, so she smoked for something like 70 years. And she was okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes, she was okay. And uh, but she had that kind of throaty voice that comes when you've smoked that long. Yeah. And uh, she was irreverent, but also very kind. And just everybody loved her and gravitated toward her. Um, it was a. It was hard Thanksgiving. We moved it to my apartment, and we're going to do the same for Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. She well, you, even. You- you wrote that it was sad that she would not get to see this book published, so she didn't, yes. uh, did she know about it? Or? She 
she knew I was doing it because I was bugging her for some recipes. Uh-huh. And of course, like many people of that generation and many immigrants, she never wrote them down. You know, so I would stand there and she'd go to throw in some parsley or something. I'd catch her hand and put it in a measuring cup. You know? Yeah, I did this with, with my grandmother and with one of my grandmothers. And uh, I mean, I think she thought I was a little retarded. I kept asking, how much of this, how much of that, you know. She said, well, until it feels right, you know. Exactly. And I would say to my mother, now, how long do you cook it? She said, till it's done. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I can't put that in a recipe. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Oh, dear. So, and and, um, it's interesting about the pies, your mother's pies, how it it was like a... um, a statement of, of independence from this, the, the, uh, the Italian background, huh? That's right. Yeah, it, she. Um, my mother she also did, most, did pies. <laughs> is that right? Isn't that funny? No, my grandmother would do like fruit pies with fruit from our yard, like cherries from our tree or blueberries. Uh-huh. Um, but the lemon meringue, in particular, my mother saw as quintessentially exactly. American, right? You know, and um, as sort of sophisticated and she could make a meringue like nobody she made the best meringues and of course my brother and i used to steal the peaks when we'd walk by and we'd get in trouble because we'd ruin her beautiful creation but <laughs> so um you know you said your brother died in pittsburgh yes yes that's where you are isn't yes it? that's where we are yes. yeah, we had nothing to do with it <laughs> no what what I mean, was it a long time ago? Yeah. He died in 1982 when he was yeah, we were 30. Here. Were you? Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to someone from Pittsburgh the other day, and um, it was really weird because I was trying to figure out what neighborhood my brother lived in because I just don't remember. Yes, yeah. Um, but we talked. Yeah, it was at the time it seemed kind of rural, and it was up high. You could see, you know, the city kind of below it. Um, and the house was pretty new. Not Washington? Uh, but when I, I just don't know. Oh, I think okay. that might be what this guy said, too. But what was funny is I described the last time I saw him, which was in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And I said we went to this dinner um, over Memorial Day weekend, 1982, and it was at a restaurant that had been a bank. And this guy I'm talking to looks at me and said, I was there that weekend. Oh, no. My brother was the manager. Really? Isn't that crazy? That is. Which restaurant was that I'm trying to think? Uh, I don't know. It was in an old bank, and, like, they even had yeah. the vault was maybe, you know, you, it was open, and you could sit, like, deep into the vault. Um, it sounds I familiar, but I've been to so many of those bank yeah. restaurants, yeah. Was it a of seafood, course. Was it a seafood restaurant? I don't remember it as being a seafood. Okay. It was one of those classic early 80s restaurants that tried too hard yeah, <laughs> Pittsburgh was, okay. was loaded with those. It seems much better now, but it used to be loaded with those restaurants. Yeah, it was that kind. You know what I mean. Yeah. Listen, I, I mean, all credit due, Anne Hood, I cannot believe that even the most elementary novice <laughs> would ever try to make pesto with dried, with dried basil. <laughs> I mean, I cannot <laughs> Oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed by that. And of course, <laughs> I grew up in a family where we had herbs and stuff, but I was never allowed in the kitchen. I, I couldn't have told you what was in our meatballs. I had no idea yeah. uh, or anything. And I remember getting uh, that recipe, and it said two cups of basil. And I remember thinking, that's a lot, because I only <laughs> used the dry, you know? And um, I said, okay. And I think I bought, like, the giant container of that McCormick dry. Oh, jeez, yes. And, you know, kudos to my boyfriend at the time who ate that horrible food (laughs) and um, with his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth and then so sweetly suggested maybe you could use fresh basil next time. (laughs) And, of course, a little, like, lightning bolt where I ever thought, of course that's what they meant. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I didn't... uh, I didn't learn to cook until I went away to uh, school, um, yes. and um, yeah, and but I invited a, a professor of mine for lunch, and I made one of the few things I thought that I had mastered, which was lentil soup. Okay. So, and, and I served it to him, and I took one bite of it, and I realized I must have dumped the whole salt 
container in them. <laughs> and, oh, no. and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so salty. He said, oh, my dear, don't worry about me. I was raised during the Depression. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you, you have all these stories about um, your, your children's eating habits. And Annabelle, I guess, was the, the worst, right? <laughs> oh, boy. She still is. Yeah. I swear to you, this morning, my husband said to me, I need to make French fries. He's doing a new cookbook. What will Annabelle eat with French fries? <laughs> and I said, well, she won't eat the fries. We can take it from there. Yeah. She's getting a little bit better because every now and then she completely surprises me. We were in Ireland last year and the two of us went to lunch. And she, the, the waitress came over and Annabelle said, I'll have the muscles. And I said, you will. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So it just every now and then she's inspired, I guess. Well, you know, Ruth Reichel's son would only eat white food for a long time. How funny is that? Yeah, but um, rice is white, of course, so that the sushi seemed to be okay. Certain kinds oh, of sushi. Oh, funny, yes. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, our grandchildren uh, were like this, but I'll tell you, they're, um, they're coming around. They really are. And yeah. my my our son, um, when he was in four year old preschool, his teacher had to call me to tell me that they they did this your favorite food thing with the class, and after all the PB and Js and whatnot, Adam says he, his favorite food was whole steamed artichokes with escargot <laughs> sauce. <laughs> A monster created. <laughs> but, but no, your your son is an actor, huh? Yes, he is. Is good, huh? Yeah, he's in lives in New York City and in Brooklyn, like they all do now. Yeah, and, nobody, uh, no New Yorkers live in Brooklyn. I just I know exactly. But he, um, a play that he wrote is actually being performed off Broadway this weekend. So it's a little different because typically he's in the show. But this is one that he wrote. It's a one act play that takes place during World War One. Really. Yeah, and it's at the Here Theater uh, with a one-weekend run, so we're really excited. So we'll be going there Saturday to see that. Uh, but typically he's on the other side, on the stage. He he was in a play for about two years called The Diana Tapes about Princess Diana. Oh, right. And it was in London this summer, and when it closed there, it was time to kind of end the show, you know. But it had it was great to see all the renditions of it and how it grew and changed and, of course, you know, to, to cheer him on. Uh-huh. Well, well so I'm, he's a good cook, too. Um, yeah, you, you said so. That's good. Yeah. He's from an early age. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, I don't want to give away too much of this. I mean, it's really a memoir tied to emotional ups and downs, of which you've had plenty, including probably the toughest is uh, the, the loss of your daughter, I think. Yes. Which you, in your last chapter... Uh, refer to this as an ongoing grief, but you sort of uh, attach foods to all of these emotions in your life. Yeah. And, and I think people can relate to that. You know, I, I, I always love the quote by MFK Fisher where she said, I, I never wrote about food, I wrote about love. Uh-huh. And I feel like that's what happens when you use food as a portal into emotion. You know, it brings out the whole emotional spectrum, but ultimately... It nourishes us, right, and uh, pleases us, and uh, it's just like love in that way. Well, I think it's a delightful book. Again, it's Anne Hood's Kitchen Yarns, um, which is a, a du bon tendre, I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> you've knitted together a wonderful book um, between your emotions <laughs> and your experience in life. So, um, And food, I meant and uh, thank, thank you, you for talking to us, and much success with your book. Thank you so much, Anne and Peter. It was great talking to you. You too. Okay, ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. And after, we'll be back after the break with a, with a heartwarming story about a wonderful project that's being conducted right here in our hometown, and we expect it's going to spread across the country.
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, I was so in love with this program, and then I, I met the founder, or co-founder, Leah Lizaranda, and, and I've been to some of their events, and it's just the most amazing project, Leah. It's called 412 Food Rescue. 412, of course, being the area code for Pittsburgh, but it's expanding. Let's start at the very beginning, though, um, like, what was the problem? Why do you need a food rescue? Yes. Um, so, Anne, I was um, writing for Pittsburgh Magazine when I was doing research one time, and I saw this report by the National Resources Defense Council, and it was it was called Wasted, and it was a fascinating report because that report showed that we throw away 40% of all the food we produce. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes, and that for me was astounding. I know there's food waste. Everyone knows there's food waste that happens every single day. I just wasn't aware of the extent of it. Yes. And, and for me, that was, um, that was so criminal because we know that on the other side, you know, we keep on trying to figure out how do we solve our food insecurity problem. Right. Of which there is plenty. I mean, when I was growing up, they would tell us to clean our plates because children were starving in China. But the fact of the matter is, children are starving even in the United States. Yes. Even yes. in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so you you had the problem there, and tell us the steps in your figuring out what the solution was going to be. Yes, yeah, so I um, I also graduated from Carnegie Mellon, so I have this, you know, ongoing fascination with technology as well. And, you know, I've worked in technology um, in my entire career, and I thought this was a great way to bring together two things I'm passionate about, food and technology. And so um, that was the genesis of 412 Food Rescue. You know, I realized that, you know, this is a problem that, can be solved with, you know, using the latest and the greatest that we have in terms of what we're capable of, um, you know, using technology. Well, how does it work? So, you know, so one of the biggest problems with food going to waste and surplus food is that we don't have a transport network that can take smaller quantities of food, you know, at a good cost so that it's worth it. Um, to be recovered. Um, we can't dispatch trucks to recover two boxes of produce and two boxes of bread. Right. But we can use other models um, that exist today, and we all know them. You know, they exist as, you know, Uber Eats or um, Instacart or DoorDash, all of these new food delivery models where, you know, these drivers are mobilized through a mobile app and they take, they go to a restaurant and take our orders and deliver it to our homes. And it's a perfect model for smaller quantities of food. This is not the big trucks that we see, the U.S. Foods of the World or the Cisco's, but these are smaller quantities of food that are, that are being moved by people using their own cars. So we took the same model, but this time, you know, we collect surplus food from grocers, from restaurants, from institutions, and then we use our drivers, our volunteer drivers, who donate their time and their resources, and they deliver this food to agencies and nonprofits that serve people in poverty. So the, so the drivers, the volunteer drivers, have an app as well? Yes, they do have an app. So they have the app on their phone. And they get push notifications. They oh, get alerts. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. they get so they get an alert. Now, how, how do you know whose button to push? How do we know who to push to? Yeah. Who's who? Like who's the closest or what? What? I mean, that that's the case with Uber. In the case of Uber, I guess the con- the concept is that a that a, a driver will be that the Uber will pick out the closest driver and dispatch him towards you. 
Do you do you do the same thing with your driver? Yes. So we have two waves of what we call notifications. The first wave goes to drivers that are within a five mile radius of the of the food rescue. And so everyone within five miles will, will get that notice. And if we don't get someone who um, is able to accept the rescue in that first wave of notification, then we alert everyone in the city. Because our no- our rescues don't have to happen, you know, right now. It's not like Uber where, you know, you, the driver, the passenger actually needs to be picked up at this moment. Um, it's, our food rescues usually have a window of three hours. So, you know, even if you're not five miles away from the food rescue, you may be, you know, close to it by the end of three hours and you can plan around that. Got it. Okay. Now, you... You have thousands of volunteers, right? Yes, we have over seven thousand people in Pittsburgh who've downloaded the app. Now, how did you how did you get this word out about this, Leah? Well, through shows like yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is extremely helpful for us. Um, we also um, use a lot of social media. We're on Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter, and a lot of um, people connect with us initially through that. Um, and through, you know, again, um, awareness by by folks like you. Now, we were at that dinner, and uh, I have never seen, it was about 250 people. Everybody was so pleased to be a part of, of your mission. I yes. Mean, that has to help. It, yes, it's such a happy thing. I mean, it's really, you know, we have the, our food rescue heroes, you know, take photos of themselves going on rescues, and oh, they yeah. posted. Yes, and they posted on their own Facebook pages, <laughs> and you know, and that helps us spread the word. So our volunteers are also our number one um, evangelizers. Now, a question I had: that uh, we, with some caterers from time to time, uh, I'd be at a party, and there would be food left over. And the caterers insisted on packing it up and taking it with them because they were afraid of liability in case anybody got food poisoning from um, the product. Uh, do you carry a lot of liability insurance? Yeah, so I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions about donating food and really one of the things that has kept um, you know surplus food from getting donated in the past. And we are striving our very best to correct it. So there is actually a, a federal shield. It's a federal law called um, the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act. Okay. And it good. was passed into law 20 years ago by Bill Clinton and by President Clinton. And it basically protects everyone in the donation cycle from liability. So there's no liability um, because you're doing this with good intentions. And, you know, it's, you know, we, we know that our donors take all of the precautions that that is required because all of them are food establishments, so they're very much aware of food safety standards, and we keep our own food safety standards as well. Now, how about on the other end, the receiving end? How do you find out who should be getting this? So we have over 600 nonprofit agencies that we work with all over the county um, and beyond, and, um, you know, each of the agencies, because they are very different from each other, they fill out a form that, you know, basically indicates um, what kind of food they are able to take. So, for example, a soup kitchen will be able to take um, a lot of raw ingredients, um, whereas possibly, you know, a, a subsidized daycare program, you know, won't be able to take, you know, huge quantities of raw ingredients because um, they only have a few people and they don't cook the food. So we take this into consideration when we are matching the food that's available. Now, uh, Jamilka Borges, uh, Chef Jamilka Borges, um, works with you a lot. And um, she said she envisioned having a kitchen, a prep kitchen, so that you could accept more raw ingredients and prep the the food and deliver it that way. Uh, And then I read about um, you're setting up schools. Explain a little bit about this. Yes, so we are actually launching a kitchen in Millvale um, soon in 2019, and that's exactly what it is. So we get so much food sometimes that 
we our our nonprofit partners can't even absorb um, a lot of it. For example, you know, during the height of summer, we had so many tomatoes. Zucchini, you probably love zucchini. <laughs> zucchini too, yes. And and sometimes, you know, we we kind of exhaust all. Of, even though we have six hundred partners, you know, we we exhaust all of our network, and so. Um, so what we do is we do need a kitchen to kind of stabilize some of these a little bit more um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, um, distribute them maybe next week. Now, you know, it seems to me like a, such a, a straightforward, a reasonable, logical idea. Why didn't somebody pick up on this before? <laughs> I think it's it's... You know, it, it, and, and that's a reaction I get all the time. It's like, you know, this is so logical. This is so needed. And, you know, I've, or, or people who themselves say, you know, I've been thinking about this, but I haven't done it. I think after hearing so many of that, you know, I think I, I came to a point where I said, well, if no one's going to do it, well, let me do it. <laughs> and so. I see. Yeah. But, but now you're in great demand um, on consulting. Uh, tell us about some of those opportunities and about the things that are in the works for expanding the 412 into other um, area codes. Yeah, so we have been so gratified by the impact that, you know, all of Pittsburgh has helped make happen that we are now enabling other nonprofits in other cities to create the same thing. And um, this year we are launching with partners in Philadelphia, Cleveland, and San Francisco um, where they will use the app, um, which is Food Rescue Hero, and they will launch Food Rescue or Scale Food Rescue in their city. I think that's wonderful. Um, You've made some trips overseas, though, haven't you? Not overseas yet, but hopefully that's in the cards in the next couple of years. Okay, because I thought I heard, you were mentioned in, what was that article in a big national magazine, right? I'm sorry? A big national magazine recently? Yes. What was right. that? So Martha Stewart Living um, just featured um, Food Rescue Hero and the app and um, our quest to expand to 20 cities by 2020. Oh, great. So that's the goal. Yes. Now, um, do you, you have a, different arms of the of this, you know, like the, the gleaning arm. But tell us what some of these are. Yes, so we have other programs in Pittsburgh. Um, um, the first program is called Hidden Harvest, and that is um, our gleaning program where we, you know, go beyond traditional farm gleaning. We actually go to people's orchards and gardens if you know, if everyone, uh, people just have to invite us. Um, and during the season, if they are either going on vacation or can't, you know, use all of their um, garden that they're, they've planted, we will harvest for them. You can walk just down some city streets and get all the mulberries in the world. You know, <laughs> we do that as well. So, in the starting in the spring. We have volunteers, you'll see them all over Pittsburgh going into, you know, just public land and harvesting mulberries and apples. <laughs> and and watch, watch out for the pears next year. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it, it's funny that, um, you know, a lot of times it's not so easy. I've often tried to get people to share neighbors to share my herb garden because there's no way that we can eat all those, consume or use all those herbs, and people don't. They don't bother. Right, right. That's weird, isn't it? Well, now, now, it we, is. now we know someone who cares. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and um, what are some of the other programs? I, I was interested in, I didn't understand the cooking uh, section. Yes, right. So, um, so we have Hidden Harvest. Then we have Cooking Matters. Cooking Matters is a program that we have where we go to our partners that we distribute food to and um, teach cooking classes to the clients they serve um, to make sure that everyone can really maximize a lot of the fresh produce that that we distribute. And so you had a a number of these. Who's going to uh, teach them and so forth? Yes, yeah, so we also have volunteers teaching these. So we train volunteers to teach these cooking classes. Um, it's a curriculum that um, spans six weeks, um, once a week for two hours a day, and we teach basic cooking as well as basic nutrition. Wow. 
And yes. other programs we should know about? So, and then finally we have what's called the Ugly CSA, okay. where it's a community-supported agriculture program where we buy um, seconds from farmers, and we work with Penn's Corner um, Farm Alliance, which is a local um, uh, organization that works with a cooperative of farmers, and we work with them every season. We um, we purchase the seconds from the farmers um, ahead of the season, and then we resell them as CSA shares to our um, to our supporters. Yeah, well, I, I really uh, I, I applaud you for working with farmers. I mean, they're a yes. difficult lot. <laughs> yes, definitely something that needs attention. Um, tell us what the information that you need. Yeah, so um, we can be found we can, at 412foodrescue.org or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at slash 412foodrescue. Great. Well, I, I mean, I'm just flabbergasted how quickly you've expanded and done so well. And uh, congratulations to you and all of your heroes, Leah. Yeah, get Thank you so much, Peter and Anne. Get, get, get on this, listeners. Get on this. And if you're not in Pittsburgh, do something about it in your city by getting in touch with Lee. Yeah. She can explain how you can get it going in your neck of the woods. We'll edit that, Leah. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Leah. See All you right, soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, all of these interviews, I think, represent a kind of warmth, and they're important stories. And Leah Lozarando is one of our most favorite people. Um, as are Suki and John, and uh, although we just met Anne, she's also become a, a, a favorite. At any rate, it's the perfect time of the year to, to get some heartwarming stories about. And to say, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then, bye-bye.